Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Good morning. At this time, the kids are dismissed for Children's Church. All right. Well, good morning. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. So we're going to look at today. We get to start a new series as Christmas is now here for us uh, normal people who celebrated after Thanksgiving, unlike Kendall, who was like having us sing Christmas songs like a month ago. Um, and so it's here, and now we get to do that. We get to look at a Christmas uh, series. Over the next four weeks, we want to talk about the familiar yet forgotten story of Christmas. And the reason why I called the series that is because I think a lot of people in our culture are pretty familiar with the story of Christmas. We kind of know what happens. Jesus is born of a virgin. At some point, some angels show up out of the sky. Maybe you've heard of the wise men following a star. All these kind of things are roughly familiar to us as a culture and as a people. But the reality is the significance of these events and what they have to do in particular for everyday life is forgotten. We kind of miss out on, on what these story, this true story of Jesus coming to dwell among us really means. What does that mean for Sunday afternoon and Monday morning and, and all the th- days after that? Somewhere in there, we, we miss what this is all really about. And so that's what I want us to do over the next couple weeks. The next couple weeks, we're just going to look a big picture. We're going to be all throughout uh, the, the early parts of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, and we're going to be studying the birth of Jesus, this Christmas story, and what it looks like. And so today, we're going to start right there in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. But before we do that, I want to pray. Father, um, even in the last couple moments, you have reminded me that I am a great sinner who, who can do nothing without you. 
God, that all of my accomplishments that I could line up and try to claim are just nothing. They are rubbish compared to knowing Christ and being known by him. God, help us this morning seek to know you. Be with me and help me as I open up this text and try to show us what it means for everyday life and how it is to change us, this wonderful story of you coming born of a virgin and what that really means. Jesus, I pray that you would help us, help me, and speak to us this morning through your word. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, in 2004, an animated uh, movie came out called The Incredibles. The Incredibles was this movie about the superhero family. And during the, the course of the movie, the superhero family has to kind of go undercover for a little bit. You know, they can't let anybody know their identity and they're hiding. And they have to live just kind of normal, ordinary life, even though there's these superhuman kind of people. And there's one scene, Mr. Incredible. Um, comes home frustrated from work, like we all say, and his door on his car won't shut. And he gets mad and he's slamming it. And in a rage, he picks the car up above his head. And the pan- camera pans out and there's this little boy sitting on a tricycle and he blows this bubble of gum and it pops. And he's sitting there and he's just amazed. Well, the movie goes on and the next day, Mr. Incredible pulls in and this little boy does what any little boy would do if their neighbor just lifted their car above their head. He shows up. And he is sitting there, and he is just watching Mr. Incredible. And Mr. Incredible gets out, and he shuts the door, and he looks at the kid, and he goes, what are you waiting for? And the kid goes, I don't know. Something amazing, I guess. If your Bible is like mine, and I asked you to open up to Matthew chapter 1, this is the first page of the New Testament. And this little page here represents 400 years of silence. See, if you read through this, this Bible here and you started here in the book of Genesis and you read through the book of Malachi and you got to Matthew, you would learn about a God who is doing extraordinary things. He is creating the world. He is splitting seas. He is saving his people from armies without a single bow shot or sword. He raises people from the dead. He, he, he is doing, calls down fire from heaven. I mean, it is so extraordinary what you see happening in the Old Testament. And if you got to the New Testament and a scoffer came to you and said, well, what are you waiting for? You said, I don't know, but something amazing. Something amazing. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, do not disappoint us. The opening to the story of Jesus does not disappoint us. See, what we're going to read about is Jesus being born of a virgin, and that is unbelievable. That's incredible. That is amazing. It's, it's hard to wrap our minds around how, how that would happen. And while it's really extraordinary, what I want you to know is if you had made your way through the Bible, you might not know exactly what's coming next, but you would know it's going to be extraordinary you would know it's going to be absolutely incredible. And so let's let the Bible speak for itself. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had come, came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
But as he's considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and she will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. This is the opener to the story of Jesus. If I were writing the story of Jesus and I wanted you to believe it, I don't think I would open with virgin birth. Right? It's kind of like when you go on your first date with somebody. Like, you don't just, like, let out all the crazy at the very beginning. You, like, like save that kind of to the end. Right? You would expect if someone was manufacturing a religion and wanted you to believe that, wanted you to know that, like, they don't open up with, and he was born of a virgin especially after just like this really long list of names that, that actually is, is made to, to point you back to that Old Testament. You're reading through those names and it's pointing you back all the extraordinary things that God has been doing up until this point. But if I were kind of like doing this and I was telling the story of Jesus, I would start with the more like believable things and then, and then be like, oh, and he was born of a virgin, right? But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible comes right out and tells you the way that Jesus came into the world. Completely unashamed. It's not pandering to me or to you. It's not trying to think that it has anything to prove to you. God doesn't have anything to prove to you. But rather the Bible just comes out and it tells you this story. The story that is true. What is going on in this story? See, I think what we have to see in the middle of this is that the virgin birth, the first thing that it shows us is that it proclaims that with God, the impossible is possible. God wants you to know that right out of the gate, right in the middle, right the beginning of the story of Jesus. He's trying to tell you that with me, that which is impossible is possible. I'm going to do something that you can't wrap your mind around. I'm going to have Jesus come into the world born of a virgin. That is one of the first things that we want to see. And I think even as Christians, we have got to see, we we are trying to package the Christian message in a way that the world will find it to be palatable. It's not palatable. You just got to deal with that. But you have to realize that there's power in the story of Jesus and just tell it. Say what it is and, and give it and let it be there. Because listen, there is a God of the universe who's the author of this story of history. And it is a true story, but he tells it this way for a reason. Because the point of the Bible is to you would get to know a person. That you get to know the person of Jesus and know him well. And so right out here, why is Jesus coming to us in this miraculous kind of way? Because God is trying to tell you something about Jesus. He's trying to tell you that Jesus is the one who can do the impossible. He's showing you who he is and that he's going to enter into our world. And he does this born of a virgin. And we know that is what's happening because as we look closely at this text, there's maybe some things that are a little culturally confusing to us. It calls Joseph uh, betrothed. And I think a lot of people can look at this and think, did this really happen? Like, are we sure that Mary and Joseph didn't just like jump the gun? I mean, don't like a lot of engaged couples do that. Is that are we sure that's what happened? Well, what we want to see is culturally what's happening is their engagement is not like our engagements. It's really nothing like our engagement. A Jewish engagement in the first century lasted for a year. It was legally binding and it was formal, but they didn't live together. 
During this engaged time, Joseph would go and he would prepare a home that he and Mary would be a part of and Mary would stay with her family and he would have that year preparing for his bride and they would be separated and they would not have come together. And that's what the text tells us, that before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. But see, Joseph doesn't know that and so Joseph assumes what any right-thinking person would assume if a woman was found to be with child. That baby got there somehow, and all he knows is it's not him. But Joseph is a just man, and he doesn't want to put her to shame. That just man, we're we're going to talk about that at the end as well. It, It means that Joseph loved the things of God. Joseph loved the law of God, but he loved the law of God the way we ought to love the law of God. Not the rules of God, but he loved the very character of God. Joseph doesn't want to put Mary to open shame because Joseph loves mercy and loves kindness and loves compassion because the God of the Old Testament, while extraordinary, over and over and over again, he tells us, I am the God who is slow to anger. I am the God who is compassionate and kind. I am the God who loves mercy. And Joseph, being a just man, being a man who understands the law of God in the Old Testament, understood that God is a merciful and kind God. But this was a legally binding arrangement. And so he goes to put her to divorce her, but he does it quietly. Joseph could have come out, told everyone what had happened, and Mary, rightfully, in their culture, could have been put to death. But he doesn't do that. He shows kindness, and he shows compassion, and he resolves to divorce her quietly. But that's not the end of the story. There's a but here. And so we see that. Now, I think the other piece of that is like, okay, okay, I get it. So the Bible says, like, clearly Joseph is saying, like, it wasn't me. But we can look at that and we say, okay, so maybe there's just another guy. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe that's what happened. You know, Mary just did that. But, but Joseph is just a really good guy. He's going to do a noble thing. He's going to father a child that's not biologically his. And, and there's, there is nobility in that. I think we can all see that. That's, that's true. That's a good thing to be a father figure to a child that's not biologically yours. I, I have two kids that aren't biologically mine. Right? We, can, we can see that and we can maybe say, oh, that, maybe that's what the story is telling us. The problem with that is the book of Luke. The problem with that is when the angel appears to Mary, she explicitly says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. See, the thing is, the the virgin birth is is kind of this unbelievable thing. And we can see in a lot of circles, a lot of circles that call themselves Christian, will say that this isn't a necessary thing that we need to believe. We don't have to believe that Jesus came born of a virgin. Well, here's what I want to say. If you're going to trust the truthfulness of the scriptures, you have to believe in the virgin birth. Because Scriptures leave you no room. They leave you no room to question what is going on here. We have from two Gospels the perspective of Joseph, and he says, I know one thing, that baby isn't mine. And we have the perspective of Mary, and she says, this is impossible, I've never been with a man. And that's what they tell us. And if you're going to take the Bible seriously, if you're going to look to the Bible and say, this is the word of God, and I'm going to trust it, then you have to believe that the impossible is possible with God. And God comes straight at you with that in the opening chapters of the book of Matthew. He doesn't wait later for that. This is what it means to know and love God is, are you going to trust him when things seem unbelievable? Are you going to look and you're going to see that? Because I believe what the virgin birth is doing is it's setting the stage for the life of Jesus. And in the life of Jesus, something awesome happens. The ordinary comes colliding with the extraordinary. See, in many ways, Jesus is, he is fully God and he's fully man. And in many ways, what we're going to see 
is that the ordinariness of Jesus being fully man is going to come crashing together with the extraordinariness of Jesus being fully God. See, in the life of Jesus, he's going to get tired. He's going to deal with really bad friends who abandon him, and he's even going to die. But in the life of Jesus, he's going to feed thousands with just a couple loaves of bread. He's going to walk on water. He's going to cast out demons. He's going to do these things that are truly extraordinary. He's going to take enemies and turn them into sons. And he's going to rise again from the dead. He does that which is totally impossible. And he makes it possible through the power of God. And that's what the Bible is calling us to believe. The extraordinary and ordinary are coming crashing together in the miraculous birth of Jesus. This is a miracle. There is no way to explain it. There's no way to rationalize how did a virgin get pregnant other than the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and came upon her. It's a miraculous birth. But here's the amazing thing, and I think it's so important as we enter into Advent season and think of this. The birth of Jesus is miraculous, but your birth is too. Now, I'm not talking about your physical birth, though that's pretty amazing. I just got to see that for the first time a month ago. It is incredible. But... That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your spiritual birth. If you are a Christian, you are a Christian by a miracle. God took a heart of stone and changed it into a heart of flesh. God took somebody who rebelled against him, was a mocker of him, did not love him, and changed your heart and wooed you to himself. So we have to see is that God is the God of miraculous birth, and that is wonderful news for me and you, because without a miraculous birth, I'm in trouble. Because I needed to be born again. I needed to be changed and radically changed. And so do you. You need to be completely reborn and made new. And that is something only God can do. And here's the good news. God does it. God does miraculous things. That which is totally impossible, God has made possible through his son. And that is what is so amazing. That this God-man, Jesus, born of a virgin, can bring you new birth because of the next portion of their scriptures here, because he has come to save his people from their sin, because he is the God who is with us. And so while the virgin birth proclaims the impossible as possible, it also points to the true identity of Jesus. We need the virgin birth because it tells us who Jesus is. Looking at verses 21 to 23, they say this, the angel comes to Joseph and appears to him, tells him to take him as his wife, says she will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is given two names in these two little verses, and they tell us so much about his identity and who he is. And for the first one is, is that he will save his people from his from their sins. Now, the name of Jesus, if you're wanting to just be a little bit nerdy for one second, is, it's kind of funny. We, we call Jesus Jesus, but if you went straight from Hebrew into English, it would be Joshua. The name of Jesus, if we, we, you know, sometimes we're like, why do people name their kids Jesus? Like, my name is Josh. We, we name our kids Jesus all the time, right? Joshua is, is from the Hebrew word Yeshua, which, which means Yahweh saves or he will save us. And that's what Jesus is, is named. And that's, and that's what we see. And that's what he's being called. And, and so 
the angel's telling Joseph, I want you to name him this name. I want you to name him Yeshua. I want you to name him this so that people will know that Yahweh saves because this baby in the womb of Mary, Joseph, he's special. Joseph, he's totally different than anything you've ever seen and he's gonna save his people from their sins. See, we, we need the virgin birth because something happens that's incredible. You see, the, the Bible clearly teaches in, in Romans 5, and we'll read from it in just a second, but before we get there, I'll just kind of preface this for us. The Bible teaches that we have a sin problem. In fact, our sin problem is really, really deep because we have a, a, two parts of our sin. We have inherited sin from Adam that we are born guilty, and then we have our own personal sins that we commit that we are guilty of. And what's amazing about Jesus is he saves you from both of those things. He saves you from your inherited sin from Adam, and he also saves you from your personal sin. Why? Because Jesus is the perfect and spotless sacrifice, because Jesus does not have inherited sin or personal sins. There's something about the virgin birth, and I don't fully understand it. I don't think it's like we only get our sins from our dad, right? Like, it's not what I think is going on. Your mom is just as equally part of that mess as well. But there's something in that virginal conception, there's something that happens in that where Jesus is shielded from inherited sin. And he doesn't have inherited sin. And so he doesn't have that. And then we are told in the Bible that Jesus is tempted in every way, yet without sin. And he never commits personal sin. And that's why Jesus can be the perfect spotless lamb that gets crucified on a cross, absorbs the wrath of God for your sins and mine because he is without sin. And if we put our faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, we are saved from our sin. That's what the angel is telling Joseph. Joseph, this baby's gonna save his people from their sins. And he has to come into the world this way so that he is shielded from inherited sin and then he'll never commit personal sin. And in that, only in Jesus can we have salvation. And that is an incredible and amazing thing. And I think if you're me, you're sitting there and say, wait a minute, I'm guilty for stuff Adam did? That's not even fair. Yeah, you are. But you also inherit something that Jesus did, and that's not fair. Listen to Romans 5 verses 18 through 21. Tell us. It says, therefore, as the one trespass, talking about Adam, led to condemnation for all men or all people. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men, talking about the act of Jesus to die on the cross for sin. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading us to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what the Bible is teaching. We need the virgin birth. You don't get to just set that off to the side. You have to believe it. It's a part of the gospel, because in the virgin birth, we we know that Jesus is the perfect spotless lamb who can die for sinners. And that's what we want to see. But here's the amazing thing about the gospel is yes, Jesus came and he died for your sin. But you know what's awesome about the gospel is it doesn't stop there. That's just the starting point in your life. 
See, not only is Jesus the one who died for sin, but Jesus is the one who is with us. The other name that we see here in our text is Emmanuel. And he talks about this Old Testament prophecy in the book of Isaiah from Isaiah 7, 14 that says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Matthew is saying this prophecy is being fulfilled in Jesus. God of the world is coming to be with us. And like us, he is fully God, fully man, come to live in this world. And what's so amazing is in the book of Matthew, this is the opener, and it tells us that God is with us. You know what happens at the end? Jesus is sitting with his disciples. He tells them to go through all the world. And what does he say to them? He says, lo, behold, I will be with you until the end of the age. See, what's happening is the book ends of the book of Matthew. You're being told, God is the God who is with you. And at the end, is saying, remember, he's the God who never leaves you. He is still with you. See, the Christian life isn't just about doing something one time. It's not just about like walking an aisle or making a decision for Jesus one time. It's about committing your life to Jesus and then continuing to love Christ with all that you are because he continues to change us and mold us and sculpt us into the image of his son. That's what he's in the business of doing in your life and you're not left alone in that. See, he's the God who is with us. And that's who we get to be, and that's, that's who he does. And so what we see is repentance, the belief, justification. Listen, that's the starting line. That's the starting line. But God is with us, and he continues to be with us. You see, God is calling us to be more than just familiar with him. We live in a culture where there are many who are familiar with God, but they don't know God. When the Bible talks about belief and it talks about faith in Jesus, the kind of faith that saves, the kind of faith that that enters you into union with Christ so that you don't have your sins counted against you and so that Jesus can absorb the wrath of God on your behalf, that kind of faith, that saving faith, is one where we would say you know God and you love God. You don't just check a box or do something or have uh, something in your life, but you actually walk with God. And that's something that he does to completely change you. See, God is not calling you just to be familiar with him. God is calling you to love him. God is calling you to obey him. See, the last thing that the virgin birth does is it propels us to obedience. Joseph wakes up from his dream. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from his sleep, Listen to what it says. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He obeyed. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. She called his name Jesus. As we listen to this radical, extraordinary story of Jesus, the gospel propels you to obedience. The virgin birth propels you to obedience. Joseph receives what we call special revelation. And here's what I mean by that, right? He falls asleep and God comes through an angel and speaks to him directly. That is some pretty special revelation. It's different than maybe like going out and looking at creation or something like that and thinking, oh, maybe perhaps there's a God. This is like explicit. Joseph, there's a God. That God is dwelling in the womb of your fiance. That is some special revelation. And when Joseph, a just man, a man, like I said, did not just know the rules of God, but loved God. 
He loved mercy and he loved kindness. He, he was going to do the right thing. When he hears that special revelation, he obeys God. He does exactly what the angel tells him to do. And you might be thinking, okay, good for Joseph. He got some special revelation. Some of you fell asleep during the sermon, but no angel came and talked to you. Maybe they did. I don't know. We should go out for lunch and you can tell me about it. Right? You're sitting here and you're thinking, well, where's my special revelation? What do I need to, to, to get some of that so I know how to obey God? There's another story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, where a very similar question gets posed. In Luke chapter 16, towards the end, end of it, Jesus tells a parable. A parable is just a story that teaches a truth. And he tells a parable about a rich man who goes nameless and a man named Lazarus. And so the, the, the setting of the story is Jesus is talking to these religious leaders called Pharisees who, who the gospel writer has always to, already told us that they loved money. So Jesus is talking to them about money in particular and their, and their love for money that outweighs their love for God, which is leading them to hypocrisy. And Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And in this story, the rich man, it says he, he feasts sumptuously every day, right? He, he, he is a glutton. He is feasting, he's drinking, he's enjoying all of his riches in life. And Lazarus sits outside just longing to eat from the crumbs of his table, this poor man, and he's covered in sores. And it says that he's so alone that the dogs come and lick his sores. Now, dogs aren't dogs like you have, right? We love our dogs. We like let them live in our house, stuff like that. In that culture, dogs are unclean. They'd be more like rats, right? For us, it'd be like the rats came and licked his wounds. Like you are alone if no one defends you from the rats. That's what's happening to Lazarus. He's totally alone. And in the story, Lazarus dies. And shortly after, the rich man dies as well. And Lazarus goes to be Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom, as as some translations would say. And the rich man ends up in a place called Hades. And it's in torment. He experiences extreme heat. And the rich man is able to see in this story Lazarus with Abraham. And Abraham is, 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 for these Jewish leaders, that's like, Lazarus is in the right place. He's with Abraham, right? He's the, he's the God of our fathers. He's the holy guy. Like, he made it to the right side. Like, if I'm not on the Abraham side of this, I'm on the wrong side, right? That's what Jesus is trying to get across to them. He's with Abraham, and the rich man sits there, and he looks up, and he's in agony, and he's in torment, and he sees Lazarus, and he just he cries out, Abraham, Abraham, have Lazarus, this dirty guy that he wouldn't even give the crumbs of his table, have Lazarus stick his finger in some water and just dip it on my tongue. And Abraham says, there's a chasm between us that can't be crossed. Those who come here cannot go there. Basically tells this guy, it's too late. It's too late for you. And what this guy does is he goes, then listen, I have five brothers and send Lazarus, send him back to my five brothers because if Lazarus goes back and he's risen from the dead, then they'll believe. Give them some special revelation. Please, Abraham, but you gotta tell my brothers, I don't want them to end up here in this place of torment. And then listen to what happens in verse 29 and 31. This is Abraham's answer. He says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. That's an idiom for the Old Testament. Old Testament. Moses and the prophets is talking about the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote and the rest of the books in the Old Testament. 
And, and Abraham is saying, listen, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they'll repent. And Abraham said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Listen, Moses and the prophets is right here. And then you have the New Testament added to it. This is your special revelation. Preachers like me, that's it. That's what you're going to get. And well, here's what you need to understand. This parable, this story, when Jesus is saying it to these Pharisees, there's a story within the story, right? He's telling them this story. He's telling these Pharisees, you won't believe even if somebody raises from the dead. Who's going to raise from the dead in the book of Luke? Jesus. Jesus is looking at these religious leaders and he's saying, listen, your love of money, your love of the world, you could literally watch somebody raise from the dead and you're not going to believe. You're not going to turn and repent. That's what he says to them. Because you know what happens in the story? These religious leaders put him on a fake and faulty trial. They convince the Romans to crucify Jesus. Jesus gets crucified. And then when he raises from the dead, they pay off soldiers to lie and say, we fell asleep and his followers came and took the body away. They literally know the resurrection happens and they still don't repent. Why? Because they have a greater love. For them, it was money. Here is the dirty little secret about Christianity. I can preach until I'm red in the face. I can do everything I can and I cannot change your heart. I can't. I can't. I wish I could. God has to do the impossible in your life. He has got to change you. Your biggest problem isn't an intellectual problem with things like the virgin birth and the resurrection. Your biggest problem is you love something more than you love God. That's your problem. And until you deal with that, you can literally see somebody raised from the dead and you still will not repent. Because the question of belief and obedience to God is not about knowledge, it's about love. What do you love? That's what it's all about. What God calls you to is he invites us into this story of Jesus that starts off with this amazing thing of the virgin birth. And he's calling you to get to know a person, to know God intimately and to love him and obey him. But that's the call. The call of the gospel is that God comes first. He's above all and for all. And nothing else hails in comparison. That's what this is all about. That's what we mean by familiar and forgotten. Many of us are familiar with God, but we've forgotten about him in so many other ways. He's not number one in your life. And unless if God is number one in your life, then you don't really know him and you're missing out on something extraordinary, so extraordinary, and who God truly is. So what do you need to do today as you hear from God's special revelation in his word? Here's a couple of things that you can do. Number one, during the last song, I'm gonna go sit right back there. Ben will sit with me if we need, I need backup. And we're happy to talk to anybody who wants to know more about what it means to follow Jesus. If you've never followed Jesus or you're just confused or you, need, you know you need to ask more questions, we're right there. And that's how you can respond today.
The other thing you need to do is you need to be in a church, committed to a church that preaches the Bible. If we need special revelation to believe, if we need to be like Joseph, then you need to be at a place that gives you special revelation over and over and over and over again. And that's why we're planting this church. We are planting this church not because other churches are doing a bad job, but because we need more churches doing a good job. We're planting this church because we want to see everybody on the west side of Columbus have a place to go where they're going to get special revelation so they might repent and believe in Jesus. And so we will preach every Sunday morning here at 10 o'clock until we outgrow it or they kick us out. And we will give you the gospel over and over and over again. And if you're at that place and you're saying, I just don't know, I'm struggling, what do I do? Keep struggling. Find somebody who's a Christian and start walking through the Bible with them because this is how you come to life. You are dead in your sin and trespass if you don't know Jesus in that kind of way that I just described. You're dead. But this is how you come to life. He will reveal himself to you in his word. We have people right now who are doing that, walking through the scriptures together, considering, is this what I want to do? It's following Jesus. And that is something I am super excited about. And that's what we want to see more of here. So that's what you can do. If you want to know who those people are, come back. Me and Ben will talk to you. We will get you connected to somebody, not just us. And we are happy to work through that with you. That's how you can obey God today. With that, let us pray. Father, cultivate within us a love that obeys. Your word tells us that if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Help me long to obey you, God. Help the members of Redemption Hill Church long to obey you. Help the other Christians who are here long to obey you and help the people who don't know you, whoever that may be, struggling in their heart, long to obey you. God, we need new birth. We need resurrection in our hearts. We need the power of your spirit to change us radically and completely. We need you to do what only you, God, can do. To make the impossible possible. To help us see who Jesus really is and help us obey him. God, I need you. I need help obeying you. So help me commit to this over and over and over again, that I would be captured by the story of Christ over and over and over again and changed. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.